Hey, y'all, how's it going? Yeah, I'm here, I'm here. It's my show, Scott Horton Show, and uh, yeah, I'm him. That's my website, too, scotthorton.org. In the case of my website, scotthorton.org. You can follow me on Twitter, at Scott Horton Show. Uh, because that's where I tweet. I tweet lots and lots of tweets. All the goddamn time. About all kinds of things. Well, about very few different kinds of things. At, uh, Scott, no, twitter.com slash Scott Horton Show. You can send me tweets there if you want. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so yeah, it's my show. Libertarian foreign policy mostly. I'm the opinion editor at antiwar.com and I host Antiwar Radio on, uh, 90.7 FM Pacifica. KPFK in LA. And, um, so that's pretty good. And then this is my weekday show here on the Liberty Radio Network. Uh, coming up on today's show, I've got Grant F. Smith. Good old Grant F. Smith. Did I ever tell you guys? I'm on the board of directors of the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy. What an honor. Someone told me once, uh, oh yeah, you're tied to Washington DC think tanks. I am the Future Freedom Foundation, the Council for the National Interest and the Institute for Research Middle East Policy. Uh, yeah, I will proudly accept those accusations and, and, and uh, promote them. I am absolutely guilty of being in cahoots with Hornberger, Giraldi and Smith. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, Grant's going to be on, uh, well, should I ruin it for you? You want to be surprised? How about we'll let you be surprised? Grant is going to be on and he's going to talk about something. And I think you'll be interested in what he has to say. And by the way, I think if you bookmark or however it is that you save your favorite links, IRMEP.org, Institute for Research, Middle Eastern Policy, then um, I think you'll like digging through that site. You know what you should do? You should search site. Uh, you know how to do that? You go site, colon, and then you don't need a HTTP or anything. You just go site, colon, and then whatever website.com there. So site, colon, earmep.org, in this case, and then search for .pdf. And see what you find. Trust me. (laughs) What fun. I hope at least somebody does that, you know? That'd be cool. Um, all right. Um, hmm. I wonder if I can bump Sheldon. Sheldon Richmond's gonna be on. I wonder if I can move him though, cause now I've got a scheduling time conflicting thing here, and, um, this guy wrote this thing about Bernie. I saw someone in a comment accuse me of, anytime you attack Bernie, you're objectively pro-Hitlery. So my answer to that is, oh yeah, well I'm going to interview somebody about how horrible Bernie is today then. Not that I didn't just interview Steven Zunas the other day about how horrible Hillary is. Not that I haven't covered the horribleness of Hillary on the radio since 1998. 
and opposed her every activity, including breathing and everything. Um, but anyway, I'm objectively pro-Hillary, huh? Okay, well, good. Then uh, more attacks on Bernie Sanders on the show today. I want to get this guy, uh, Derek, on. And he's a leftist, uh, but I don't care. He wrote a thing attacking Sanders for being a warmonger, which he is. Doesn't mean he's as bad as Hillary, which, you know, come on. Who on the Democratic side could possibly be as bad as her? I guess Biden. No, Biden was anti-Libya war, right? Uh, funny thing how Obama wouldn't listen to him. But anyway, so there's that. And, uh, and then Sheldon wrote a piece about, um, about Cruz and Rubio. And there's, eh, there's a slight little bit of differentiation we're talking about, if only to bring up a reason to write a good article. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, we'll have, I guess, um, we'll maybe, uh, focus more on the Republicans with Sheldon Richmond since we're going to have, uh, Derek Davison on, hopefully if I can schedule this right to talk about Bernie. All right. So anyway, that's the show. Uh, is it today? Hang on, I want to make sure we're running it today before I tell you we're running it today because you know what? These things get complicated sometimes. Oh, we're not running it today? Wait, maybe I just need to hit refresh and make sure. No, we're not. Oh, it's going to be tomorrow. Tomorrow we're running a piece by, uh, Ramsey Baroud, uh, the Palestinian, uh, refugee living in England. He's a teacher, professor of some kind, some. And I think he helps run Middle East Eye. Anyway, I really like Ramsey. We don't run everything that he writes and sends us, but a lot of it. And this one is, uh, it's just the story of hunger striking Palestinians and how they're really starving themselves to death. And the only reason that they're starving themselves to death is, uh, well, because as it is, they're better off dead. First of all, for what they're going through. But secondly, uh, they're trying to get a little bit of attention. Right? Maybe someone will pay attention to my unjust imprisonment if I starve myself to death. Because isn't that the most counterintuitive thing that a human being could do? deliberately refuse food to death what the hell kind of way to commit suicide is that horrifying but all they're really doing is begging and crying for the slightest bit of justice and it seems to me like hey you and me we can't do a goddamn thing for them and we know it but we can at least pay attention we at least follow Ramsey's lead and point out, hey, look at the enslaved population of Palestine. The people of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip who have no rights. Who the Israeli government persecutes and tortures and murders constantly. With hardly even a pretension of the rule of law. They just do what they want. 
including grab children from their beds in the middle of the night like Soviet or Nazi monsters from history and take them off to be tortured. Really? Oh, poor little Israel. You know, breaking news. I just heard that the Jews of Europe got a really rough deal during World War II where another 60 million people also were killed. But but anyway, there's no news that you need to know other than Jews were victimized in World War II and now all of a sudden it's 2016 and the poor little Israelis, they were victimized in World War II. And then that's it. If there's any Palestinians to even acknowledge the existence of in any way, then, well, they're just terrorists trying to take land away from the poor Israelis who, after all, suffered in World War II. Never mind that they've been backed first by the Soviets and then by the United States, have total economic and military dominance over the entire region, and haven't been the underdog for generations in the Middle East, the Israeli state. It's the Palestinians who are the victims just as plain as one and one is two. They're starving themselves to death to try to show you. You hate government? One of them libertarian types? Or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers? Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking... Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. Hey, man. How's it going? Welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Man, I've sold the chat room short. Hey, Mud Shark, I saw you in there, man. I just... Too late, that's all. Come back, Mud Shark. Um, uh, yeah. It's uh, scotthorton.org slash chat if you want to join up the chat room. Uh, hey, everybody. Good morning. Coming up, Grant Smith. Ain't that great? So, I'm kind of bummed out, man. Uh, because in the aftermath of Rand Paul's humiliating defeat, which he so richly deserved, um, all the mainstream media outlets are basically of one mind that, huh, yeah, libertarianism is a joke and people just don't like it. And you're stupid. And Rand Paul's problem is he's just too libertarian and his name is Paul and he just can't live that down. And and conservatives, why, they just don't like that stuff and he's just not conservative enough. Oh, for Christ's sake. All he did was sell out and pander to the right on everything and it did him no good at all. He didn't fail because he was a libertarian. 
he failed because he sold libertarianism out. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he would have won if he'd ran as a libertarian. He would have failed like a champion if he'd run as Ron and helped lead the American people and, for that matter, the human beings of the planet Earth toward libertarianism. What we need is not powerful leaders to manage everything and fix everything like Donald Trump. What we need is liberty so that we can just run our own lives ourselves. What we need is peace. What we need is sound money. What we need is for you people to stop listening to these ridiculous liars. When none of the things that they say make any sense, have you noticed that? It's because they're full of shit. And then he would have lost anyway, but it would have been great. But instead, the, um, you know, the, uh, the narrative gets solidified that, yeah, libertarianism had its chance and, and it really failed now. And, but in a way where I think they even said in the Daily Caller piece, the Ron Paul, never mind Rand, there never was a Rand Paul movement. The Ron Paul movement dies with a whimper. Yeah, it was stabbed in the back. And you know what? If humanity survives, I bet you this one is going to go down in history forever. This is like Greek tragedy, biblical level, historical betrayal. This is Luke and Darth Vader level betrayal here, reversed. You know, because, well, yeah, I mean... Anakin did know she was pregnant. So, yeah, he was betraying his kids at that point, too. It's the same thing, only reversed around there. Uh, Rand Paul, he betrayed his father in a horror. I don't even want to talk about that. That's none of my business, but it makes me sad. But he betrayed our entire movement. He betrayed everything that uh, so much of us had worked for for so long. And just think of the counterfactual. Just think if Rand had stayed an eye surgeon and never even run for Senate. Never even mind president. What if Rand Paul had never entered politics? Then Ron Paul probably would have served another term or two in the House. He may be gone by now, but he'd probably have his own show on CNN. No offense to Dan McAdams. Dan and Ron do a great job every day. I watch their show virtually every day. But... You know, Ron was making real headway. And especially with the all the TV news people, I mean, he doesn't fit the agenda. But to them, it was kind of an innocent thing where he's such a kind old man. You know, like Wolf Blitzer. Wolf Blitzer thinks Ron Paul is just so so nice and so interesting. And he always has something to say about any issue. And reliably, he can do the show if he's invited. And he started really getting on cable TV a lot. And then Rand Paul, with the blessing of most of the liberty movement and the libertarian movement, because people just believed on faith that he must be just like his dad. Great. A younger version of Ron coming to follow up and carry it on, man. All right. Everybody thought. And then all the attention got taken off of Ron and diverted to Rand. And for what? You know, the best thing he did was his drone war thing. But that was ridiculous anyway. No one was using drone, no, the national security state anyway, wasn't using drones to do drone strikes on American targets on American soil. 
And he didn't even really use the uh, the opportunity to stick up for Al-Laki and his 16-year-old boy, the Americans killed in Yemen. Only use them as an example, but he didn't stand up for their rights to not be killed. U.S. persons uh, who have a right to a fair trial, just like any of the rest of us. He knows that. And in his speech, he specifically said, if cops, if local or state police or even the federal FBI, if they use a drone to shoot and kill somebody... In a normal criminal, uh, you know, investigation type matter, in his example, this came up later, but he used this in his filibuster. If someone's robbing a liquor store and the FBI or the cops want to shoot and kill him with a drone, that's fine. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I don't want the CIA or the military to do a national security state assassination hit with a missile on someone who is not in the middle of doing something, um, you know, violent, but is in fact just maybe sitting at a cafe somewhere. Wow, what a great stand. You know, Bill Clinton could have done that filibuster. Well, I oppose the CIA operations branch and the military's joint special operations guys. Okay, just the SEALs, but not Delta. To do a raid on someone at a cafe. We don't want assassinations at cafes. <laughs> what? This is Rand's great historic stand for liberty. What the hell is he even talking about? And on everything else, he is horrible. On everything else, he sold us out, including even the Federal Reserve. I don't want to abolish the Fed. I just want to audit it to, quote, make it more effective. Bad on the Iran deal. Lied. Lied like a damn dog to justify his betrayal on the Iran nuclear deal, which is bad politics, too. He could have got so much mileage out of being the only Republican who had any idea what he was talking about on the Iran deal. That could have been great. He's such a coward. And then horrible on Guantanamo Bay since before he ever even was a senator. Since I interviewed him in 2009 or 10. Oh, it was nine. When he first started talking about running for Senate, bad on Guantanamo from the get-go, bad on Afghanistan. Oh, we can't have a safe haven for terrorists. What? That's the exact same justification as every other politician in D.C. for staying there forever. But just think if Rand had just focused on eyes and left the politics to his father, how much more Ron could have done for liberty with that microphone that his son... Stole away and then threw in the trash. Hey, Al Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrenSCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrenSCoffee.com. Use promo code SCOTT and you get free shipping. DarrenSCoffee.com. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. 
Be free. Liberty.me. All right, kids. Welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. First up on the show today is our good friend Grant F. Smith, the leader, the founder, the president of the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy. That's I-R-M-E-P dot org, IRMEP dot org. He is also the author of, oh, I don't know, a dozen books on the Israel lobby and their illegal activities. Oh, and criminal activities in the United States of America. Uh, the latest, I believe, is divert about how uh, they stole a bunch of weapons-grade uranium for their illicit nuclear weapons program. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, Grant? Hey, I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me on again. Very happy to have you here. And um, I was very uh, very happy to see this uh, thing in my email this morning announcing yeah. your upcoming conference at the National Press Club. So go ahead and tell us all about it, and I'll interrupt when I think I have to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the uh, news release we put out uh, about the conference on March 18 is all about the speakers. So that's what interests people. And in alphabetical order, I'll just mention them all. Uh, Susan Abuhawa, Kirk Beatty, Rula Jabril, Maria LaHood, Gideon Levy, Jim Loeb, Roger Matson, Tarek Roddy, Justin Raimondo, me, Philip Weiss, and Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson. Uh, so we put out Man, just a release. That, yeah. There's some really good ones there. So we should we go some... in order so you can tell everybody about it? Or Well, first of all, no, no, no. Business first. When okay. and where and all those things so everybody can write it down and phone numbers, whatever they need. Great. Yeah, well... Registration for this one is easy. Just go to israelsinfluence.org. No punctuation, just israelsinfluence.org. And there's all the information about speakers, uh, when the event starts, the fact that there's lunch, there's a reception afterwards, that there'll be book signings, et cetera, et cetera. There's actually an exhibition hall this year. All that information is at israelsinfluence.org. The conference registration opens at 8 o'clock, 8, 8, 8 o'clock a.m. on Friday, March 18 at the National Press Club in the ballroom. And it's really, uh, just a, I think, phenomenal lineup of speakers. It's an opportunity, uh, which is not coincidentally, a day before the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee opens its national summit. It's a chance to see behind the scenes and understand uh, a lot more about Israel's influence on U.S. politics, on government, on foreign aid, on foreign policy, from people who really know a lot about it. But don't necessarily uh, aren't necessarily on uh, you know mainstream broadcast news. So uh, go to israelsinfluence.org and you can get all the information you want. You can go to the Twitter feed from there and follow it on Twitter to get uh, new developments and updates, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cool. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and get that all tweeted out at the break and everything too. Beautiful. So um, Beautiful. and then this is again March the 18th. In D.C. at the National Press Club. And Absolutely. Then, so you got a lot of great friends of the show and plus a lot of people that I've never heard of before. Right, right, um, right. Well, that's, I think that's important. Uh, maybe we should, uh, cover some of those guys first. Okay. 
guys and gals. Uh, Susan Abuhawa is very interesting. She runs an organization called Playgrounds for Palestine, which builds playgrounds uh, in the occupied territories. But cool. probably most interestingly, she has filed a mandamus lawsuit uh, with her lawyer, uh, McMahon is his name, and a bunch of other plaintiffs suing the United States Treasury over its failure to do anything about tax-deductible charitable funding, which has been flowing from this country into illegal settlement building, uh, they claim in violation of many criminal statutes. And so they've got this really interesting lawsuit uh, trying to force the Treasury Department to actually do its job and focus on this issue. So she's going to be very interesting. Uh, Kirk Beatty is a professor at Simmons College. He did this study based on 200 interviews of congressional staffers asking them about how Middle East issues are lobbied on Capitol Hill. Uh, the book is called Congress and the Shaping of the Middle East, and it really, really discloses, I think, to a level that nobody else ever has because nobody else has ever done this type of research uh, about what APAC is up to on Capitol Hill. Uh, Rula Jabril is an award-winning journalist. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Slow yeah, down yeah, yeah. for a second. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. First of all, I really like the – I agree with you that it, the the first one there, she sounds really interesting. That sounds like a, a, a really interesting thing, and I'd be willing to bet without knowing the details of it or being a lawyer or anything like that that she's probably right, right, that uh, the laws in America are constructed uh, to make donating to an illegal project like the – uh, settlements in the occupied territories, uh, illegal, and yet it just goes unenforced. I mean, that sounds like such a plausible case just on the face of it. But then, so it brings the whole very important question of whether the law can trump politics or whether politics always wins or what. It's one of those real cases that test whether we have a rule of law or not. Or it sounds like it you're could right. be. You know, you're, you know? Yeah, you're right about that because, yeah, again, there's all sorts of statutes such as, you know, not waging wars of occupation against, you know, a foreign person from the U.S. All sorts of statutes named in their lawsuit, which, you know, if they get discovery and if they actually get to plumb the depths of the U.S. Treasury Department, uh, and, and see, because there have been, this has been an issue for decades. I mean, they're not the first ones to raise this issue. There have been complaints filed, uh, you know, not, not necessarily legal complaints, but for decades. So they get a chance. I mean, this is, if this thing goes down, if they don't get any sort of standing, and they do clearly have standing, uh, it, it's just going to be an indicator. I'd say this is a canary in a coal mine type case. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. And then the other thing about, uh, the lobby too. Uh, uh, the guy, uh, Kirk Beatty here. Uh, yeah. that sounds very interesting as well because of course this is a subject that, you know, it does get some ink on the internet if you can call it that a little bit. There's not too many books about this, uh, no. and certainly that get much attention. But this no. is just such a huge issue. I mean, this is the 800 pound gorilla and the elephant in the room and all the things that everybody, well, all the great yeah. cliches about just the completely, uh, Distorted. I don't know how else to call it. They're just unreasonable amount of power and influence in the hands of representatives of the Israeli government in the capital of our country. <laughs> they, right. the, we don't have that much influence in Jerusalem. I know that. No. 
No, I mean, this is, I mean, this is, it's such an eye opener because he's got these just devastating quotes. But basically, if you listen to these staffers, there's nothing, you, you can never do enough. You can never do enough for APAC. I'll just put it that way. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to get into, I've read his book cover to cover. It's just, all I have to say is I am floored by it. Mm. So I, I just think that everyone should get a copy of his book, Congress and the Shaping of the Middle East. Um, cool. so Rula Jabril, mm-hmm. she was like one of the first anchor women in Italian television. She's covered many, many events as a journalist in the Middle East. Uh, fascinating person, wrote She's a book. She's great. I've interviewed her at least once or twice. Oh, have you? Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah, I never caught, okay. I think I've listened to most of your interviews. I never caught that one, so I'm going to go back to the archive. But, so she is, uh, she's fascinating. She's going to keynote, um, on, uh, on some topics about the media. So that should be good. Um, and Maria LaHood, she's done a lot of work. She was a lawyer at the Center for Constitutional Rights. Uh, she's defended, uh, a number of advocates uh, in the U.S. Um, for their activities when they get into trouble. She's going to talk a little bit about sort of that cost that's imposed on uh, any sort of Palestinian advocacy in the U.S. All right. Hey, I'm Scott Horton. I'm talking with Grant F. Smith about this upcoming conference, Israel's Influence, israelsinfluence.org. It's March the 18th, put on uh, by Grant Smith at the National Press Club, and we'll have more about it right after this. So you're a libertarian and you don't believe the propaganda about government awesomeness you were subjected to in fourth grade. You want real history and economics. Well, learn in your car from professors you can trust with Tom Woods's Liberty Classroom. And if you join through the Liberty Classroom link at scotthorton.org, we'll make a donation to support The Scott Horton Show. Liberty Classroom, the history and economics they didn't teach you. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Hey, I'm Scott. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. March the 18th at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Israel's influence, good or bad for America. Israelsinfluence.org to uh, find out all about it. We are on the line with Grant F. Smith from the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy, who is putting this on, and he's sitting here talking about all the great speakers. And by the way, Grant's done this twice before, uh, has put on great conferences about Israel and their influence at the National, at the National Press Club, both of which have been great successes and, uh, turned out great crowds and great speakers and, and, uh, at least the first one got on C-SPAN. Is this one gonna be on C-SPAN? Do you know yet? I have no idea, but uh, we'll certainly make room for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. We'll do everything yeah. we can to promote the live stream and all that kind of thing, uh, awesome, you know, awesome, so people awesome. can see that if we can. Um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta mention that the American Education Trust, which has been around since the '80s and publishes the Washington Report on Middle East Affairs magazine, is uh-huh. the co- co-organizer of this one and the last one. So I can't, uh, can't let, can't let myself get all the credit for that. 
and uh, as an organizer. And uh, I also wanted to mention that uh, Maria LaHood, I was struggling for the name, Stephen Salita was the person, last one of the last people she defended. You know, the idea is, can you get fired from a t- tenured position if, if you tweet out some stuff that oh, right. uh-huh. donors to a college don't like? So she's a, she's a lawyer who, you know, she doesn't pretend to be a lawyer like me. She actually files these giant cases, Arar versus Ashcroft, uh, you know, Alalaki versus Obama. She's a constitutional lawyer of the first, first degree. And part of this is getting a chance to talk to speakers. We don't let most of them just run away. No rock star treatment here. They stay, um, and they're available so that you can go and talk to them and ask them. And the idea is to, to get some presentation of content that you're not going to get anywhere else and then ask the speakers, Hey, what could be done about this? So in that sense, it really is a conference. There's no stage managing, you know, we don't, uh, we don't know what solutions they're going to offer. It's a bona fide attempt to come and be a part of something, uh, that, you know, only being there as opposed to watching it or listening to it, uh, that's the only, there's no substitute for that. Right. Yeah. That's great, man. Uh, yeah, I don't want to encourage everybody to stay home and watch it online. I, I encourage any, <laughs> anybody who could possibly get there to go. You know, I went to the first one and it was great. I'll never forget. Yeah, that was. I got was, to hang out was... with Phil Weiss and Karen Katowski and stuff. So. Well, that was, that was an incredible, incredible first. I, that's all I have to say about it. And, yeah. you know, that last panel was, it just blew people away. So, but, uh, this is going to be as good. The next person in the lineup is Jim Loeb and. You no, know, wait. He's... No, no. Gideon Levy. Talk about him. Oh, 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 yeah. Gideon Levy. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's a keynote speaker. He's a journalist, uh, from the Israeli newspaper Haaretz and he's, uh, he's fantastic in terms of being able to talk about the costs of occupation, what it's doing to Israeli society, what he would show an American congressperson coming to Israel on a junket as over a thousand uh, people have under American Israel Education Foundation trips. Uh, his last presentation was immediately translated into Arabic and has received over 300,000 views on one Facebook page alone. So this guy has some insights and he's, uh, he's a person who's ex- considered, you know, controversialized in Israel, but he's got a lot of interesting ideas and says and, and looks at things that nobody else does. Yeah, I just want to say I agree. I think he's great. I read him all the time. And I'm sorry. Yeah, now talk about Jim because I love Jim Loeb, man. He's well, Jim, yeah, so great. I, I mean, he got this major award, the Arthur Ross Award for Distinguished Reporting and Analysis of Foreign Affairs from the American Academy of Diplomacy last year. I know AntiWar.com uh, wrote that up as soon as it happened. But you know, one of the reasons he's such a go-to journalist in Washington is that he has been following. Uh, sort of neoconservative and liberal interventionist, um, influence on U.S. foreign policy and just lecturing all over the place. It's not a subject that he, you know, picks up and writes one article about. He's just got dozens and dozens and dozens of articles. So he's been around since the 80s at Interpress Service and he's finally, and you know, we talked to him into coming, so he's coming. But yeah, there's a guy. Me, let me never, say about that. Can I, can I say something yeah, about Jim? Sure. Jim, I think, is actually, I don't think there's any comparison. Jacob Helbrun, or I guess there's comparison, but 
I think he wins outright for world's greatest expert on the neoconservative movement. And and if you go back and if you look through, if you can find the right place at IPS News, you can find articles where he's been writing about Richard Pearl and his fellow sons of bitches since about 1977 or something. And he just knows every single thing about all 75 real neocons in the world. He's just got their number like no one else. Yeah, you're never going to get a snapshot view of who they are, where they came from, what they care about, unless a person like Jim Loeb, and again, there's hardly anybody like him, uh, is there. So he's hopefully going to give a historical overview that will just blow everyone away. Uh, then there's a guy you've never heard of, uh, Dr. Roger Matson, who's actually a former nuclear regulatory commission executive, and he knows everything there is to know about civilian nuclear power uh, and quite a bit about bombs as well. Um, and he's just written a book called Stealing the Atom Bomb, How Denial and Deception Armed Israel, which all I have to say, and I don't want to say much more because I've also read this thing cover to cover. It should be available soon. Wow. Uh, we've talked a lot about NUMEC and the diversion of U.S. weapons-grade uranium, and I wrote a book about it. All I have to say is this guy wrote the book about that case. Wow, and, man. And he's going to talk about it, and uh, it'll probably be the first time he talks about it. And just so think about that. Former executive of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And then right. this is his book, Stealing the Atom Bomb, How Denial and Deception Armed Israel. And then we got the tease from you. He's he's talking about stealing from the USA. Right. And why wow. the U.S. government was never able to do anything about it. So, I mean, it's if you really, you know, you don't have to listen to me anymore about this subject. Just listen to him. And so that's going to be great. And then Tarek Roddy is a he's now locally based. He was uh, an organizer. Uh, for students in justice in Palestine and, and, and working on that issue. And he's going to be on a panel talking about, you know, what some of these peace and justice activists are facing on campus. Um, Justin Raimondo, I don't know if anybody knows that guy. Oh, yeah, we know that guy because he's one of the co-creators and the editorial director of antiwar.com. And he's going to be there and it's going to be great. And I, I don't know if, if between, Justin and Jim Loeb, if there will be anything left to say about liberal interventionists versus neoconservatism, does anyone have a real choice at the voting booth? Is there anything to be done? So those are some pretty interesting topics, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Justin here in Washington again. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be doing a presentation uh, focused on a big study that I've just completed which is called Big Israel, How Israel's Lobby Moves America. Um, and Philip Weiss, who runs Mondo Weiss, is going to be coming in. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, he's writing three to four columns about American media and its performance on Middle East uh, issues. Um, so, you know, in terms of getting a perspective on what's good, what's bad, what's changing, hope for the future, there's nobody else who does the amount of work that Philip Weiss does. And I know he's a frequent guest of yours, so uh, yeah, really great. happy to have Phil coming down. Yeah. Uh, and then last but not least, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who last served under uh, Secretary of State Colin Powell, 
back during the big uh, United Nations presentation about Iraq's weapons of mass destruction. And, of course, uh, he has turned around on that and now considers it to have been a giant uh, deception. And he's well-positioned to talk about the use of intelligence and leaks about intelligence and intelligence in general in terms of crafting U.S. foreign policy in the region. Yeah, he's a, he's an interesting one. Knows a lot, and I think, you know, as you kind of imply there, sort of doing his penance uh, for peace now, speaking the truth, and, and of course, yeah, he's, always ready he's really... to testify against Dick Cheney in the torture tribunal. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's basically said some things that you will rarely hear from a former government official. So, All right, now again, that... talk business. Phone numbers, addresses, dates, and times, and what people can do to uh, to do this. And talk really sure. fast. Absolutely. You can go to uh, wrmea.org or irmep.org. You can get all the information about the conference also at israelsinfluence.org. If you have questions, 202-342-7325. March 18th at the National Press Club in D.C. Thanks very much, Grant. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. And irmep, y'all, for irmep.org. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. Right now on uh, CNN, it's Hillary tries to justify vote for the Iraq war because it just goes without saying even on CNN now that what a terrible decision she and everyone at CNN made to support that war back then, huh? But they don't ever have to say they're sorry and they don't ever have to say that everybody who opposed them back then was right. But at least it goes without saying now that boy should not have done that. Small victory, I guess. All right. So this morning I saw on my website, someone said, any criticism of Bernie Sanders is uh, objective support for Hillary. And I thought, oh, yeah, well, then I'm just going to interview somebody who's uh, good on Bernie Sanders again today, if that's how it's got to be. Um, and and uh, Derek, uh, Derek Davison wrote this piece for Jim Loeb's blog. We were just talking about Jim with Grant a minute ago. Um, at loblog.com, let's talk about Bernie Sanders and the Middle East. And uh, Derek is a Washington-based researcher and writer on international affairs and American politics. Again, writes for loblog.com. And then this is also reprinted at Foreign Policy and Focus, FPIF.org. And we're going to run it tomorrow on antiwar.com because FPIF says we can. Hey, welcome back to the, or no, welcome to the show for the first time. Uh, Derek, how are you? Thanks, Scott. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing real good. Sorry, I'm used to saying welcome back to everybody all the time. Because <laughs> uh, there's so few people who are good on all this stuff. But anyway, um, 
when I read your article, I didn't think for a minute that this was objective support for Hillary. Obviously, you are coming at Bernie Sanders from the left, and I, it would be a safe assumption that you are even more critical of Hillary Clinton's positions on the very same subjects you take oh, Bernie yeah. Sanders to task for. Is that fair? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, good. So I'm just so tired of all of that. <laughs> who you must be supporting by opposing anyone at any particular it's, time. Uh, it's I, I, completely ridiculous. It's to the point now where I'd, I'd kind of like somebody to put me in a coma and wake me up in October. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. Well, so we can't do that or not, right. you know, without without putting our loved ones in legal danger or whatever. So <laughs> um, we got to talk about it. Uh, let's talk about it. Um, tell me everything about uh, Bernie Sanders. He was good on Vietnam, probably, right? Um, Bernie, I think he was, he was probably good on Vietnam. Um, I think that uh, my, my macro criticism about this primary in general is that neither one of them seems to want to talk too much about foreign policy. And I understand why. Uh, it doesn't poll very highly as a priority for voters, particularly in the Democratic, you know, voter base. Um, Hillary doesn't want to talk about it because her foreign policy instincts are to the right of the average Democratic voter in 2016. Uh, and Sanders, I think, just isn't comfortable uh, on the topic. Um, you know, it's not what he's made his career focus, and um, it is something that he needs to start addressing, I think, in a more systematic way if he wants to be a serious presidential candidate. Mm. Well, you know, there's something there about how this guy is just too much of an intellectual to possibly plead ignorance on this stuff. I mean, you're right that he's he's not chosen it to be his focus. But do any of us believe that he reads less than 50,000 words of news, you know, per day or per week at least? You know, this is a guy who knows what's going on, who, well, who I mean, is paying attention, Senator, you know. So you would think, right? I mean, just as a, as a general rule, he's going yeah, to be I'm not calling the guy brilliant. I'm just saying he's not George W. Bush, right? Right. You know, he's not some dumb ass who just showed up. He's been interested <laughs> in national political issues for generations on end. Exactly, exactly. Right. That's uh, and, you know, the interesting thing is when he was mayor of Washington, he was very outspoken on Israel-Palestine in a way that he hasn't been in years. Um, he was much more, which is, you know, seems counterintuitive. I mean, it's, it's intuitive in a way because you kind of have to moderate when you're uh, very pro-Palestinian. That's okay for the mayor of Burlington, but maybe you, you know, struggle with that on the national level. Um, but he's certainly tamped down his discussions um, on his rhetoric on that issue in particular uh, since becoming a, a national politician. Yeah. And now, so, uh, well, he came to Congress uh, in the early 90s, is that it? Uh, yes. And then, so, do you know how he was on, on Bosnia in 94, on the no-fly zones over Iraq, the blockade and the and the bombing over the no-fly zones in the 1990s? I, you know, I don't know uh, how he was on the no-fly zones. I think he supported um, the 1999 intervention in uh, Kosovo. Mm -hmm. uh, I assume that he was in support of the Bosnia intervention before that, but I have no uh, 
basis to say that other than, you know, if he's for one, he's probably for the other. Um, I think the, the fact that he doesn't talk about the no-fly zones, which were, um, you know, would be something that maybe would distinguish him from, uh, Clinton, um, suggests that he was probably for them. Uh, but I, again, uh, I do not know. Yeah. You know, I think I just saw an accusation that he was for him, but it didn't have any evidence for it. And I put it off. Look, I put off looking it up. But there was plenty of room to criticize there with the various U.N. officials resigning over it. And, you know, the various, you know, Operation Desert Fox and the Iraq Liberation Act and all these things. Well, the, I mean, the, the, the embargo, the sanctions, uh, you know, I mean, are directly responsible for countless Iraqi deaths from the end of the first Gulf War to the to the second. So, yeah, there's a lot of room to criticize. Yeah. All right. And now, so um, he voted for the AUMF, AUMF after uh, 9-11, huh? I guess yeah, everybody did it except Barbara yeah. Lee and the entire Congress, yeah. right? Exactly. All right. So that kind of goes without saying. But now, you know, for Ron Paul even voted for it, and I really wish he hadn't, and he had even introduced a letter of mark and reprisal, which was the actual constitutional thing that you're supposed to do to declare war against a group smaller than a state, like some pirates right. or some terrorists. That is Madison thought of that. It's in there. And and he actually introduced one, but then he voted for the AUMF. But then he immediately started writing anti-war stuff, you know, that September, or at least by October, he was saying, out of Afghanistan, you know. So and and he was consistent ever after that, and I don't guess Sanders really has taken much of a anti-war no, Sanders, position. I mean, Sanders on still Afghanistan. talks about his support for Afghanistan. It's it's how I think he um, tries to deflect the idea that he's a, a pacifist because you know, God forbid, we should uh, have a pacifist running for president. Right. Yeah, that's for his credibility. He cites right, the longest, exactly. most it's... failed war ever by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, that's how he, you know, sort of plants his his. Uh, I I will use force if necessary. Right. Totem, I think. Yep. All right. Well, and then so at least he was good on um on Iraq War Two. Did he do much to oppose Iraq War Two when they were in the middle of planning it there in O two and O three? Um, I, you know, I think. He was, uh, you know, I can remember him being, um, you know, he wasn't shy about having, about voting against it. Um, I don't remember his opposition being a big deal, but I, I don't, you know, you can't separate that from the fact that Bernie Sanders in general, is not a guy who's ever really gotten a lot of media attention until now. Um, so, I mean, that's a hard, that's a that's a tough question to answer. I, I it doesn't um, stick in my head that there was a lot of talk about. Um, oh, Bernie Sanders is opposed to this. Bernie Sanders is opposed to this. But uh, you know, as I said, I. Bernie Sanders has never really been a big deal for the national media until right. recently. Yeah, that's true, too. All right, well, hold it right there. we got to take this break. When we get back, we'll talk more with Derek Davison from Loblog.com, Jim Loeb's blog, 
about Bernie Sanders and his views and actions, his voting record, on foreign policy. After this. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, you guys. Welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, the Scott Horton Show. So, oops, got chainsaws out back. I don't know if you guys can hear that. I hope not. These things happen. Some interviews have chainsaws in them. That's all. You know, it's a radio show with chainsaws. Uh, Derek Davison, he wrote this piece, uh, taking a critical look at Bernie Sanders and his positions in the Middle East. I think people just assume, well, he calls himself a socialist and, and he seems like such a, like he always means what he says. I don't know exactly how you characterize that. It doesn't seem that trustworthy to me, but I can see the appeal where he seems so honest and, and further to the left than the center. And so he must be a peacenik, right? But then, yeah, geez, I, not so much. It doesn't look like here. And, um, so we're talking about the terror war, um, while we're going back through the nineties and, and other history, but, uh, would it be all right uh, with you, Derek, if we get back to uh, his position on Israel and Palestine? As you say, uh, he was he was apparently really uh, hard nosed about the two state solution back when he was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. But uh, so what all has changed and over what period of time here? Well, there was a good piece on Alternet um, not that long ago about this, about uh the evolution, if you want to call it that, in uh, in his Israel-Palestine position. Um, he started to change. I mean, you, you have a hard time finding much beyond the sort of standard defense of the two-state solution um, once he uh, got into Congress in the early 90s. Um, you know, when he was mayor of Burlington, he was outspoken about mistreatment of Palestinians. Um, since then, it's it's sort of you know he um, he's been more even-handed about it um, in his in his rhetoric. And since he became senator, uh, it's it's gotten even it's moved even more in that direction. I mean, there was uh, you know during the 2014 war in Gaza. Uh, there's this video on YouTube that that uh, you can check out of him at a town hall meeting where he's confronting um, people who are opposed to uh, Israel's bombing campaign and shouting them down and trying to explain, um, you know, that that Israel has a right to be doing this. And of course, we know that that the bombing campaign in Gaza caused billions of dollars in um, damage. Gaza has been leveled virtually. People, you know, they're 
um, you know, lives have been completely ruined. Um, yeah, I'd encourage defense, people to go and look at that too. It's pretty outstanding. Well, he, I mean, he he didn't uh, co-sponsor the sense of Congress resolution that um, you know praised uh, Israel or you know reiterated Congress's sense of Israel's right to quote unquote defend itself. Um, but at the same time, you know, he did. Uh, very vocally, as you can see in this in the in the YouTube video, uh, you know, defend uh, what was going on. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was pretty bad from the very beginning of the thing. All right, and now, well, and so here's the other thing too is um, we've been talking about this, you know, for a long time on the show, and you know, I kind of just don't even want to have a dog in the fight at all, but i got to be honest, best analysis. I think I agree with Philip Weiss and and others uh, in his camp that it's way too late for a two-state solution anyway, that the annexation of the entire West Bank, um, and Gaza is sort of a different case. It's been turned into a prison, you know, and it's not being colonized the same way as the West Bank is right now, at least. But uh point being that, you know, it already is an apartheid single state. And that now the question is, what are we going to do inside this one state solution? Is it going to stay two different rules, uh, you know, one with law and one without or or what's going to happen there? And so, yeah, I wonder what would be his position on that. And that does seem to be the reality of the situation when you just look at the size of Area C and all the so-called security zone claimed by the Israelis on the West Bank. Well, I think I mean you're right. The 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 viability of a two state solution now is is almost nil. I mean, if you uh, look at the way that that they've sort of divided and conquered the West Bank, as you say, um, and this is something you know, Senator Sanders uh, doesn't really need to to comment on this, right? I mean, Senator Sanders oh, yeah, can take true. a position in favor of a two state solution and and not really think about the implications of that. Or about what's really happening on the ground, but a yeah. President Sanders would have to address this at some point. I mean, yeah. if President Sanders is going to be the one dealing with Israel and setting policy, and and it would be nice to know what he really thinks about what's actually happening, and not you know sort of the abstract um, throwaway American two-state <laughs> compared to Hillary point. or. Cruz or Rubio or probably even Trump. He's probably the less Zionist out of all of them. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. I mean, Hillary Clinton has a lot of uh, uh, ties to people like Haim Saban um, and, you know, uh, pro-Israel donors. And uh, she's come out uh, against the, the um, divestment movement, BDS. Uh, so... Her position is pretty clear, and the Republicans' positions, the remaining Republicans, I should say, are all pretty clear. Uh, so, yes, I mean, I think you could say that he's better on Israel-Palestine than anybody else left in the race, but that doesn't mean that he's good on Israel-Palestine <laughs> from right. a Palestinian perspective. Right. Definitely not. Yeah, or from just a basic, you know, human rights perspective. Right. All right. And now, so I'm sorry because we are pretty short on time here, but could you at least just define the incoherence of the Islamic State Saudi policy here, real quick? Um, sure. I mean, he he Bernie's 
position on the Islamic State, his plan to confront the Islamic State is uh, coalition building. It's not clear what he's going to do differently from Obama. He talks about continuing airstrikes, no ground troops, and building coalitions, which is the same thing that we're already doing. Um, we failed to build a coalition because uh, every country that would need to be in that coalition has its own priorities, and they don't dovetail with America's, and they don't uh, include really doing anything about the Islamic State, at least not right now. Um, and so my issue with, with you know, when, when Sanders talks about uh, fighting the Islamic State, he never explains how he's going to get over that hump how he's going to convince these countries, you know, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Russia, and so on down the line, who all should be interested in fighting the Islamic State but are not, are more interested in fighting with each other, which is the problem that the Obama administration has encountered. Sanders never has, has yet to explain how he would fix that problem, how he would get over that, that hurdle. Right. Um, it seems almost insurmountable to me. I don't know there's anything that a, any American president could do. But if this is his, you know, the centerpiece of his plan for for dealing with this this group, then it would be nice if he would talk more about it. Yep. All right. Well, listen, I'm sorry we're out of time. Uh, there's more great stuff that we could have talked about in this article. Let's talk about Bernie Sanders and the Middle East. It's at lowblog.com and fpif.org by Derek Davison. Thanks very much for your time, Derek. Thank you, Scott. All right, y'all. We'll be right back with Sheldon after this. Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Hey, I'm Scott. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. All right, next up is our friend Sheldon Richmond, the author of 10 million articles about why the libertarian answer to everything is the right answer. To everything. Uh, welcome back to the show. How you doing, Sheldon? I'm doing fine. Great to be back with you. Very happy to have you here. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Sheldon is now a regular columnist at antiwar.com? Yeah, no, it's true. And... um he also has his own great blog, which is called Free Association at SheldonRichmond.com. What a great name for a blog, am I right? Latest piece <laughs> is Cruz and Rubio, heirs to Bush-Obama militarism. But uh, first, let's talk about Rand Paul. So what do you think about Rand Paul, Sheldon? Well, I'm, I'm not surprised, uh, I'm sorry to say. I mean, his, 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 his uh, campaign had been disappointing all along. He... Well, he said some good things here and there. And, uh, you know, during his short Senate career, he did some things like uh, protest the NSA. Uh, I just think that never got translated into, into a clear uh, campaign that gave people a reason to, uh, to vote for him. He made too many concessions. He was terrible on the Iran matter. I mean, he was worse than terrible. Uh, he, um, he'd say regime change has bad consequences, but, you know, that was just too weak. Now, you know, maybe a, a pure... Ron Paul, uh, foreign policy uh, uh, plank uh, wouldn't have attract, uh, attracted a lot of voters uh, and support uh, these days. I don't know. But he did not give it a try. He just got, I think, lost in the crowd. And uh, I'm not surprised by what happened. 
Yeah, well, it's exactly what I predicted, that trying to be everything to everybody will leave them nobody or nothing to nobody. I said it right the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then, you know, I was worried that maybe I was wrong. What the hell do I know? He's the one who's got himself elected to the Senate somehow. Uh, I sure didn't. So maybe if he does promise Sheldon Adelson to bomb Iran or declare independent Kurdistan for Israel or whatever the hell, then, you know, maybe that'll make him some money and then... You know, maybe Republicans who, after all, love blood more than anything else, maybe they would be, you know, appeased and think, well, geez, I think he's he's good on blood and I think he might be a little better on taxes or something like that. But no, it just didn't take. He failed exactly like he deserved to. So I think. But the question is, what lesson did he learn? Did he learn the lesson that if only he'd been more like Marco Marco Rubio all along, things would have been better off and and he'd be in third place now? Or is it possible that he could learn that what was wrong with Ron wasn't his radicalism? It was just that no one had heard of him before. And so he was starting from nowhere. Yeah, I don't know what lessons. uh, He's not asking me what lessons to learn from it. So I hope he's asking people who would give. Uh, the sort of answer you just gave. Then, uh, if he was more like his father, he would have maybe. No, of course, you know. Let's let's keep things in context. His father had big crowds and generated a lot of enthusiasm, but he only came in third in Iowa. Uh, oh yeah, well, of course. At least well, listen, as libertarians, least, we all know that numbers. we all know that we are the minority. There are more communists in America than there are libertarians. We know that. The best that we can do is try to lead the best of the left and the right to the best positions on the most important issues. We can't convert them all. We know that we know that no one named Paul could win a presidential nomination in generations. But that's not the point anyway. You know, and, and as good as Ron's ground game was, they just call Rove stole it from his ass anyway, wherever he had the delegates to really, you know, the ground game to really get it done. They just ripped him off because this is a corrupt, evil empire. That wasn't the point. They were never going to let Ron or Rand be the president. The point was to to move the ball forward as far as liberty and especially the arguments on, again, the most important issues, the wars, torture, uh, spying and uh, lawlessness and all this horrible, the bankruptcy that it all engenders and the rest of it. So anyway, um, yep. but so, uh, yeah, he ran as Jeb and then he failed like Jeb. If only Jeb had uh, <laughs> Rand's, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, good qualities and would have the decency to go ahead and quit now, but apparently he won't. Um, but so, <laughs> so if it's not going to be Jeb, it looks like the nomination is going to go either to Trump or to Cruz or to Rubio. So you want to take us, uh, through one at a time what you see in these guys? Not what you see in them like you love them, but what you see sure. about them that's important. <laughs> I meant right. to say. Right. Uh, well, the piece I have posted today is on Cruz and Rubio. Uh, and what I try to argue there is that the differences uh, between them are not terribly significant. I mean, the, the only one we can really find, uh, the only difference we can really find is Cruz, at least at this point, is saying regime change in Syria would, would backfire. Uh, of course, he's right about that, that it would backfire in the sense that it would it would leave bin Ladenites or worse uh, running running Syria, or at least running rampant in Syria. Uh, and and he's right about that. Uh, but on everything else, you know, I don't see a difference between him and uh, and Rubio on uh, on foreign policy. 
if you look at his website, he's got a whole page on how uh, how strongly we must support Israel in every possible way. Uh, he's for giving all kinds of money and, and military equipment to Israel, but not a penny to the Palestinian Authority, he says. Uh, and that, I don't see it. The neocons are not going to, neoconservatives are not going to object to that. The language is very much like Rubio's, uh, who the neocons uh, seem to be gravitating toward. Uh, you know, he wants to, uh, well, famously, he's called for carpet bombing. Uh, ISIS, he says, uh, to see if the, uh, he can make the sand glow at night. Uh, that sounds, that, that, that sentence just overflows with Christian, uh, benevolence. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, very happy to hear that. Uh, well, and you know, he had gotten uh, in a little bit of trouble, right? When he had, he had used the term neocon a couple of times and said, I don't believe in all of these crazy neocon missions. And he got attacked by some neocons at the Weekly Standard and the National, yeah. or at least the National Review twice. Uh, Eric Edelman and others had complained, but did you see the piece by Rosie Gray about how, and Ali Garib had one too, about how the neocons were making nice and, and Cruz was making nice with them again. Yeah, I thought that was more marketing when he, when he named the neocons and he even used the term America first, uh, which I'm sure someone must have said uh, something about privately, like you better watch that and you're going to get called a German sympathizer, <laughs> yeah. sympathizer, which was the smear on the America first committee, of course. Uh, back in the Cruz uh, is in the, bed with Merkel. Thirties. Uh, so I thought that was just marketing, and like you say, uh, we don't hear and say that anymore. And I'm not surprised that uh, the neocons would be uh, uh, making peace with him. I mean, he it's possible he get the nomination, and it, like I said, his position is is not uh, terribly different from Rubio's. Uh, and I, you know, and I go through, uh, in the piece, I go through some, you know, examples of that, but, you know, especially about the Middle East. And they're, they're both, of course, want to, you know, not take any guff from, uh, from Putin. You know, they got to sound, they got to sound like they're strong and hawkish and, and willing to, uh, uh, confront Putin if necessary. Uh, uh he seems more, uh, Cruz seems more interested in, in confronting Putin over Ukraine. Uh, I think, uh, Rubio has talked about confronting them actually over Syria with a, with a no-fly zone. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, a libertarian non-interventionist is not going to be happy about either one of those. And the point of my piece was to say it's not worth staying up all night ar- and argue, you know, arguing with people over who would be le- less bad, Cruz or Rubio. Uh, mm-hmm. Trump, uh, is interesting in this way. He, he, he sometimes strikes a pose that makes him seem more uh, of a realist when he has said, hey, let Russia fight uh, ISIS. Or, uh, and uh, I think he's uh, also said it probably is not a good idea to knock off uh, Assad. Uh, and he has talked about arms going to uh, uh, bin Laden types, bin Ladenite uh, types. So, he's, you know, he's made actually some good individual points. But but overall, there's not there's nothing to comfort a non-interventionist. He wants to, he, as he puts it, bomb the you know bleep out of ISIS. That that sounds a little bit carpet bombing, if you ask me. And uh, while he doesn't talk about making sand glow, uh, he wants to take the oil. But that's you know no one ever examines him on that. I mean, it's not like oil is sitting there with a bunch of barrels on a shelf and you run in, grab them, and leave. If you're going to take the oil, don't you have to stay? That sounds like quagmire to me. How come no one's asked him about that? He never gets asked. That's because he intimidates reporters. Reporters are afraid to ask him. All right, hold it right there, Sheldon. We'll be right back, y'all, with Sheldon Richmond after this. 
I love Bitcoin, but there's just something incredibly satisfying about having real, fine silver in your pocket. That's why commodity disks are so neat. They're one-ounce rounds of fine silver with a QR code on the back. Just grab your smartphone's QR reader, scan the coin, and you'll instantly get the silver spot price in Federal Reserve notes and Bitcoin. And if you donate a hundred bucks to the Scott Horton Show, he'll send you one. Learn more at Facebook.com/slash/CommodityDisks. CommodityDisks.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. I'm talking with Sheldon Richmond. And yeah, we're talking about Donald Trump uh, at the break, but eh, we're just talking about the the right side of the political campaign uh, for this interview so far, mostly um, about Trump and Rubio and all this. And, and we're skipping around. I'm a very disorganized sort. Uh, but right now we're talking about uh, Trump and the whole thing about uh, take their oil. Yeah, it sounds like occupation to me. And of course, you know, the Islamic State Sunnistan is where the least amount of oil is. I mean, I guess there's some there, but most of the Iraqi oil is down in southern Iraqi Shiistan and up in Kurdistan and near Kirkuk, which is being fought over, but is, I guess, basically nominally now under the control of the Kurds. So what he's talking about is starting the Iraq war all over again against our allies that we've been fighting for since 2003 <laughs> to take the oil from them and then occupy their <laughs> land and all of that. So he's clearly thought this out. Well, he also said he's going to find the meanest son of a bitch general at the Pentagon, the uh, the you know, uh, to just go in there and decimate him. You know, like we're just supposed to imagine the meanest armored division ever rolling into Mosul. Okay, so we're back to carpet bombing and and the gr the ground equivalent. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Jeb so was trying yeah, to climb on board with him too. Yeah, I think that the lawyers have way too much to say about how we fight the war. <laughs> yeah. Like Jeb, yeah, just stay old, quiet over there. Conservative line, yeah, get the get the lawyers off the backs of the general. That's Please clap. Line. Yeah, I was. Ah, you just stole my line. I was going to say. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Oh uh, man. So there's not a lot to choose from, and uh, you know we can't even count on Bernie Sanders to raise this stuff. I mean, he will mention. Hillary. I know we're now over to the Democrats, but well, wait, stick with party. Trump here for a second, though. Stay okay. with Trump here for a second, though. Cause so, uh, the thing is about him, there's a debate going on. I don't know what's a debate about it, really, about whether he's a realist or not. And I guess, you know, yeah. he's a nationalist, right? So it, he's not quite a neoconservative. He comes from kind of a different tradition than that. Yeah. But it doesn't make him a realist in the sense of, like, George Kennan and John Mearsheimer and all of that kind of thing either at all, no. right? I mean, uh Two things on that. Uh, Josh, is it Josh Rogan over at, uh, uh -huh. at Bloomberg? With Seth Rogan. Over at the Bloomberg had a column, uh, claiming that he's actually a realist, that he's actually, that actually is a doctrine. There's a Trump doctrine. But it was a very unpersuasive article. Yeah. I mean, he co quoted a couple people who know Trump saying, oh yeah, he's thought all this out. He, he's got an integrated doctrine. We're supposed to take our, uh, uh, Rogan's word for it, or what Rogan took their word for it. So that was unimpressive. I'd much rather look at Stephen Walt's piece in Foreign Policy from just the other day. I think it's linked today at any war, or uh, either today or yesterday, uh, about where he discusses five of the candidates, some of them we've already discussed. And you'll see that uh, you probably already read it, but anybody who looks at it now will see that uh, Trump is not a realist in that in that uh, sense of, of the of the people you named. Uh, he's uh, 
Sure, he's not, he's not a, a neocon. He doesn't talk about launching a worldwide crusade to bring democracy, the uh, liberal democracy to the world. No, he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't say that. But, but um, you know, the, he's, not, he's not trustworthy. We don't know what he would do in power. First of all, we know he's sort of an egomaniac. So uh, uh, that's not the kind of person I think a, a realist would want. That's what, kind of what Walt says, or what a non-interventionist would want. Uh, I don't think uh, he thinks there are any limits to what he can do. And who knows what he'll decide to do uh, tomorrow? I, you know, I, 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 you know, I find it weird that people think his greatest uh, virtue is that he speaks his mind. Well, the question is, which mind is he speaking today? He's taken many positions on the same topic uh, in the recent past. He's he's had contradictory positions. So, so I don't understand how we how anyone can claim that he speaks his mind. What he does is he tells people what they want to hear. And maybe that they think that's speaking his mind. And on foreign policy, I wouldn't trust him for a moment. He wants to have the biggest military. He's going to spend a ton on the military. He says that. At the same time, he says he's the least militaristic candidate in the race. Uh, and, and then he says uh, he's going to, the military is going to be so powerful that no one will dare mess, quote, mess with us. Now, how does he define mess with us? If China wants to take over those un, what, uninhabited man-made islands, is he going to say that's messing with us? Uh, I don't trust. I wouldn't trust the guy for a second. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, everything he says is a whim, and and it's clear he doesn't mean anything he says, and it's clear that he's got, <laughs> well, no sympathy for any other human on the planet or what position they might be in. So <laughs> that doesn't lend to the idea that he's going to be a very peaceful uh, type of a president at all. Yeah, it's it's troublesome. Yeah, what if and Mexico then, doesn't want to pay for the wall? Is he going to? Yeah. Is he going to bomb Mexico? And now the thing with Rubio, do you think he reads or anything or he's just he's got his talking points and he says them or does he really believe all the insane things? Because he basically just sounds to me like a parroting puppet of Bill Crystal. But he does. Yeah, he does, he sounds like a kid reading a book report kind of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? He sounds like he's, he's he reading some stuff he yeah. memorized. I don't know him. I never met him and I don't know anybody who knows him. I've, I've heard it said he's not too bright. He's good at memorizing lines. Uh, I'm a little disturbed. I'm very disturbed, I should say, by his campaign slogan, which is always behind him when you see him speak, uh, uh, a, a new American century, which, of course, is a crystal phrase. Right. The, uh, what was it? What was the, the organization? PNAC? Yeah, uh, the Project the, for a New American Century. For, yeah. yeah, Project for New American Century, which was a neocon. Does it still exist or have they metamorphosed? Yeah, no, nah, it's changed now, some, but it's yeah, yeah. It's still well, the same was, old that, guys. Right. The same. So that was a neocon uh, project to promote. Uh, well, you know what? This sort of uh, uh, right now they have the John Hay Institute and they yeah, have okay. um, they have this other one is um, Beacon Global Strategies, uh, which again, it's just right. Eric Edelman. That's all it is. Eric Edelman, the guy from the Office of Special Plans that lied you into war with Iraq. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know why this hasn't gotten more attention. Uh, I guess it's because for most people, it doesn't even raise an eyebrow. But this slogan, a new American century, uh, you know, if Putin was running for reelection and his slogan was a new Russian century, what would the neocons be saying about that? I mean, there's something that's so arrogant. It's this American exceptionalism on steroids. Uh, you know, should Mexicans regard the century as the new American century? Should the French, should the Canadians, should, should anybody? I mean, how arrogant is that? It's not just the, they're not just saying, hey, for Americans, it's going to be the new American century. No, they mean for the world, it's going to be the new American century. That that's the, that uh, sums up in one phrase 
all that's bad about American foreign policy and, and this attitude that, you know, we're the indispensable nation and everybody. Uh, and, and as George H.W. Bush put it after uh, Iraq invaded uh, uh, Kuwait, what we say goes. Well, you know, I wonder about Rubio, man. Um, I thought, well, he's got his little Herman Cain blip moment and, and a little flash in the pan and then he'll be gone again. First of all, because white American Protestant conservative Republican voters, they're not going to turn out to vote for a guy with a O at the end of his name. Because they're, you know, at least soft bigots. If they don't hate Catholics, <laughs> they don't love them and trust them. Wait a them. second. Are they going to be know? fooled by the Z at the end of Cruz's name? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question, too. And <laughs> they're down to slim pickings. I understand it's not easy <laughs> to be hey, a conservative hey, on, Republican a Cuban, right now. He's a Cuban-Canadian. Trust a Cuban-Canadian? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in, yeah, who, I, whose I candidacy that, is in direct with, contradiction of the Constitution. Tongue, I say that with tongue firmly in cheek because I think Trump, <laughs> Trump is just shows how pathetic he is when he tries to make a big issue of that. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't know. It is the letter of the law, but <laughs> it's just the Constitution. Well, we, so it we don't doesn't need to get mean anything. That. No, the letter of the law, the letter of the law says you gotta be a, a citizen and a natural born citizen is one that didn't need to be naturalized and he did not need to be natural. He's been voting. All his adult life, right? Well, no, I, I read a thing in the Washington Post that he did have to be naturalized. He just went through the quicker process to be naturalized. But he was naturalized. So he was born in Canada. Well, and that, I'd like to see that. Who now, I'll to, send I, you the I, thing in the Washington Post. Okay. The thing in the Washington okay. Post says that, like, hey, I'm no Obama birther. That was based on a ridiculous thing that he was born in Kenya. But if he had been born in Kenya, then that would be a problem. Sorry, that's the law, even if his mom wasn't American. No, his mother, his mother, well, his mother, we're, we're getting off on a tangent now, but his yeah. mother was an American citizen. And the, and the English common law and the English law that preceded the United States said that you were a subject of the king if your parents were subjects of the king and you were not born, even if you were not. Well, that's in, the point argued the in the Washington Post piece. I'll send it to you. Yeah, but I think, I think that, I, I know, I think that that's, that woman from Delaware Law School, and uh, I've seen it said that she is wrong. She just doesn't know what she's talking about. But anyway, we're not going to settle this. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense and to plus, me that if your mother yeah, was who cares? Citizen, the Constitution's an entirely dead letter anyway, and Cruz isn't going to win the nomination anyway. He's too much of a bastard. He might have done okay in Iowa, but he's not going to. I don't think he or Rubio is going to go much further. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, Rubio is just the same I as Lindsey no Graham. Chance. Lindsey Graham got no support, you know? So, I don't know. Uh, and now we're I out of time. Know, Sorry for wasting know, it on the birth of debate. <laughs> Thanks, Sheldon. SheldonRichmond.com, yeah. y'all. <laughs> Thank you.